Welcome back to the Head, Heart, and Boots podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Brandon. Join us as we wrestle with what it takes to transform ourselves and the businesses we lead. Man, I love this industry. Oh my goodness. Dude, sometimes nobody has any idea what we're talking about before we hit start, right? And it's sometimes our our conversation that we get into just before we hit go is highly inappropriate. It's amazing. So we won't talk about that. But instead, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get into a show topic today. Actually, this was your lead, and I'm excited about it. But before we get into today's show, yes, sir, let's talk about Sponsor. our sponsors, our friends, our partners. I'm talking about Liftify. So you just slow your roll. Okay, do it, guys. I know if you're a consistent listener of the show. I know you've heard some of this before, but you know what the the reality of it is is that Chris and I, if we're going to work with a sponsor, there's a couple things that are very important to us. One is there's got to be value for the listener. There's got to be value for the company, right? That's the, it, legitimately. It's not just a what's in it for us here at Floodlight or the show, but what's in it for you guys as our as what we feel is as our client. And Zach's team at Liftify, they just kind of exemplify all of it. They they create real results. They measure it. They monitor it. They report on it to ensure there's no gap between their client's perception of what they're receiving and what they're giving. And it's a, it's a resource or a service that just has way more value than the cost associated with it. And it's... it's the, I mean, sounds very utilitarian, but that's a couple of the real key factors and why we believe in Liftify and why we continue to promote it. The other thing is just the backing behind the company, who the founder is. Zach is an outstanding entrepreneur. He's a great businessman. And he's brilliant when it comes to this whole SEO marketing fiasco that we all have to engage in to a certain extent. He's created a service that honestly for cost versus return, is there's just no comparison pound for pound. It's, it's a great service. They're kicking ass. They... They're approaching 20-25% return or, or participation rate in their reviews. They have a great system where you can respond to all your reviews via a dashboard. So it's simple. Their system automatically posts these five-star reviews to your social media platforms. Like the return yeah. is so obvious in our book. It's just, dude, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> like the cost is just we're, we're clients too. We I, are. I mean, we've mentioned Absolutely. that before, but yeah. like uh, we use Liftify at Floodlight yeah. and we're getting way more reviews oh, than we were in, you know yeah. more reviews in the last 3 or 4 months since we implemented than we'd gotten the previous 2 years oh yeah no, and, and, and almost every one of our clients has said the same thing 100% you know? and in the opportunity for you guys as stores where you're doing hundreds if not thousands of oppor- you know jobs a year you know Chris and I are not talking to a thousand people this year I right know. well maybe but I, just, I don't know anyway yeah. so so do yourself a favor go to liftify.com forward slash floodlight floodlight so we advertise at cnr yeah some of you i like how you refer to our listeners as clients well they are they yeah they are you're, you're already clients so yeah, you know correct. just call us when you need something mm-hmm. cnr so we advertise at cnr and it's been a great source of lift one our engaged listeners all of you has grown a lot in yeah. the last several months since we started advertising in CNR which obviously to me means a lot of the industry is reading CNR and from Brandon and I's perspective everybody we talk to and see I mean like Michelle is at Michelle Blevins the CEO a chief editor I don't know I don't know what exactly your title is but she owns the show CNR is like the 
intersection point within our industry. Like all the all the important stories, all the greatest news. She and her team are scooping all the biggest stories. They're at everything. They're at everything. She's involved in everything. We ran into her at Core Summit this last week. It was awesome. So she's just got a presence that she's developed and relationships all over the place that's super valuable. And of course, awesome articles. <laughs> we write some of them. <laughs> and and we read a lot of them too. It's really uh, exciting. Uh, so, there or anything. Yes. But anyway, if you're not a subscriber yet on CNR, you need to be. I mean, there's just, there's no cost. Yeah. And if you're a company that sells into the restoration space, like we sell services, obviously, we found it to be a really great advertising platform. And we've recommended it to other colleagues and friends who own other companies that are serving the industry. So if you're selling to this industry, CNR is probably a platform you should be advertising on. So yeah, yeah. keep that in mind. Okay, my man. I've had this kind of thing that I've been wrestling with. So obviously, some of you know, we're in a little bit of a book club with the boys, the Blue Collar Nation, our dear friends, Eric and Larry. Gosh, I, I can't wait to find an excuse to spend more live time with those guys. But my point is, we're reading a book together. Some of us faster than others, hint, hint, Chris, get started. Haven't started. Procrastination. Called The Dichotomy of Leadership. And it's a Jocko Willink book. It's a sequel, if you will, to his extreme ownership that he put out. And he felt like there were some additional layers of leadership that they needed to unpack. And uh, they do a great job. Point of the book, essentially, is this dichotomy of leadership is this idea of these balancing Mm. requirements and priorities when we lead people. There's this... We can't live in extremes of one end of the pendulum swing or the other. And I think that that's where they kind of came back and dialed in the rest of the color under extreme ownership. So as leaders, we still have to have extreme ownership in the sense of, like Henry Cloud would say, we we get a combination of what we allow or what we create. And extreme ownership talks about that literally is, listen, in our personal lives, our relationships, our professional environments, you're going to get a combination of what you allow and what you intentionally put into place, period. Anyways, in the midst of that, Chris and I feel strongly about the fact that when you take on the mantle of leadership by saying yes to a formal leadership title, this is different from influencers and yeah, we're all leaders. We're know, all leaders, concept, yeah. right? We're all leading ourselves. We're you know, some of us have some downlines of some sort. Anyways, titled leadership, you take on a mantle and a responsibility. And in the military, the term that they use is the burden of command. So it's this idea that as soon as I say yes to a formal leadership position, I take on the responsibility for the decisions that I make and how they impact my team, my people, and myself and those around me. The interesting thing, of course, when we look at you know stories by like Jocko Willink, and for those of you who don't know, he's ex-Navy SEAL. He was a platoon commander. I think he ended up actually taking over a larger unit force and being the commander of that team. Rich experience in the special operations environment and spent a lot of time in Iraq. To, to my credit, even though I haven't started reading the book, I've probably listened to like 150 episodes of, of Jocko's show. show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which cover the gambit. Right, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyways, he's, you know, his leadership experience that he brings to the table is vetted in real life war environments, specifically in force on force environments where there's violence of action, there's real life consequences that reach far beyond a P&L. And yet there's these lessons that we learn in those extreme types of environments that really apply well 
to business in general. And of course, you and I specifically feel like it applies very well to our industry and the business inside these service sectors. Anyway, so this idea, the, the burden of command, balancing your decision making, and, and in conjunction with that, it's the idea of how do we as a leader come to terms with those decisions that we inevitably have to be forced to make. And so like an example, I think just to kind of kick this off is think about our employee relationships, right? Like we talk about it a lot on the show. We recently had an interview with Marcy Richardson from Guarantee, just brilliant, smart woman. Point is, is that we are going to be forced to make decisions as leaders. And we have kind of two contexts for these decisions. We have decisions that are best for the greater team as a whole, the company, the P&L, right, our sustaining business. And then there's other decisions that the value of the outcome or the, the outcome, I guess, has a very specific impact on the individual, right? Mm. And, and sometimes in order for us to continue to make progress towards the goal, towards the mission, or as Jocko would be referring to, to complete the mission, we're going to have to send people to do hard things in hard environments. And that's difficult. And there's going to be some negative circumstances, some negative outcomes that come sometimes from that. To include things like sometimes I got to fire a single person for the greater good of the rest of my team. And those aren't easy decisions. There's a dichotomy that we get stuck in there. And there's a weight or a burden of command that, that we have to shoulder. And so I want to talk a little bit about that because I think... One of the big things that we miss out on is, you know, you and I are consultants, duh, and we work with teams. And one of the things that we find is that nine out of 10 teams know what they need to be doing. Even if it's not in black and white terms, they've got at least tribal knowledge on this is our process. This is what we do. This is how we do it. Yet they do not have consistency in execution. There's a giant gap between what we say and what we actually do. And so, Accountability comes from this idea of holding people to performance standards, making people do hard things, often in hard environments. Like that's just part of the job. But if we don't create that accountability, if we don't make the tough decisions, our business suffers for it, right? A mission doesn't get completed if we're afraid to make a difficult decision and then bear the weight of that decision and the outcomes of that decision. Mm. Sometimes we're going to make right decisions. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we have to sacrifice one to save many. It's not easy, no matter how you slice it. So so can I go back and I want to poke at something you said as you were kind of introducing this, yeah. this topic. You brought up extreme ownership. And I think, and you said that, you know, it's about making difficult decisions, right? And it's dichotomy of leadership, making difficult decisions and bearing the weight of those choices and dealing with the consequences but I feel like also too, from having listened to Jocko for all these years and, and read Extreme Ownership, I feel like he would also say, and there's some nuance to this, but he would also say that as a leader, you're not only responsible for your own decisions, but ultimately mm. you're responsible for the decisions your people make. 100%. Now, now, of course, there's an aspect of, and we were just talking about this with Marcy, there's there comes a point where right, we've given somebody all the tools, we've equipped them with all the necessary resources they need to be successful. They understand the standards, they're very clear on what's being expected of them, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then ultimately, the employee will make a bad choice, 
right? And uh, essentially, they're self-terminating, right? If we've provided them all the resources, clarity and objective and mission and all that kind of stuff, and they still choose to make different choices, well, ultimately, I guess we're not responsible for that. They're responsible for their own removal from the team. But what I mean is, is that oftentimes, our team makes bad choices in the field. And I think as leaders, certainly, I can only speak for myself, I'm not always quick to accept responsibility for my role in that bad decision, mm-hmm. right, as a leader. And I feel like having listened to Jocko many, many times, like when there's a mistake made in the mission, it's at least partly, and I, I don't know what, if he were sitting here right now, if he would say, no, it's all my responsibility that that, that error was made in the mission because clearly I, I wasn't clear enough. I wasn't smart enough in terms of who I may be put in that role. They weren't ready. I, what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think his inclination would be to accept full responsibility for not only his choices, but the decisions and actions and behavior of his downline team. And, and when you take that level of responsibility, it forces you to take a more global view of your business and how you're leading. And, 100%. Right? No, I think you tapped into something there. And I, I think that this is part of like what we lean into so often is this idea that you and I just feel, feel very strongly that once you take on a formal leadership role, you've got now this extended responsibility to adapt, to learn, to grow, to gain new skills, like areas that were very soft and completely a weakness for you. You're going to have to shore up to a certain extent at minimum and then likely take that to the next level by putting somebody on your team that can help completely make up for that weakness. But you can't ignore it. You can't just be, this is who I am. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm this. I'm wired this way naturally. You just have to deal with it or learn me or learn to deal with me. And you and I don't agree with that. There's some realities there. But as the leader, you have the burden of of adapting, changing, getting smarter. It's all... Like if the buck stops with you, everybody, everything stops with you, right? You're responsible for all of it. If you're going to... If you're going to take hold of the authority and the influence, you're also taking all the responsibility. And, and it's so easy, I think, and I've fallen into this in different words and different ways where you have an employee that makes a bonehead decision, right? Does something in the interest of themselves or they forget the interest of the team, right? They're not minding the four Ps like we talked about, whatever. And it can be really easy as a leader sometimes to commiserate with our fellow leaders and be like, oh, this bonehead, this guy's always making these bonehead mistakes. And instead of saying, wait, what does that say about me yeah. as their senior leader that they keep making these boneheaded choices? Either one, I've left somebody on the team that's not committed to the team. I've allowed them to stay in place. Or where have I failed to equip them and coach them and mentor them? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where, where, where sure. am I in this problem versus, oh yeah, we got this problem employee that somehow we need to get them to get their shit together. Right. Well, is there maybe some shit I need to get together in order to make sure that person is better equipped? You right. know? And it's interesting too, because you know, even Jocko will talk about the fact that there's this demand or need for decentralized leadership. Otherwise, you just no matter what, no matter how great a single person is, mm-hmm. they will become a choke point, right? And under this idea of decentralized command, it's this idea that we have people amongst our ranks that can take that message, that mission, that vision, that commander's intent, and they can own a piece of it, right? Just like in our own businesses, we have this responsibility to equip our downline leaders in in such a way that they can be fully integrated Mm. and own the outcomes because they've been completely empowered to be successful and, and to lead 
those objectives or that that element within our business. But I think the thing that we struggle with as leaders is folks will hear a message like this and it just turns into more guilt or weight or coulda, shoulda, I need to, I need to work on this, I need to adapt to that. And it creates this pressure that we put on ourselves that we're, it almost freezes us in our tracks, mm-hmm. right? And some of us are more susceptible than others. I mean, we have people in our sphere that, God, I can't even, I, I can't even imagine the pace they run at. It's unbelievable. And then there's others where life doesn't take a ton of life to, to rock you a little bit and, and put you off guard or whatever. But anyway, so this burden, this burden of command, what do we do with it? So first, like, I feel like there's this principle of recognizing. Right, wrong, or indifferent. It's it's almost like you can agree to not agree, but the reality of it is is that our people show and the performance of our businesses show that as a key leader who's taken on the mantle of a specific formal leadership role, our decision-making has a lot of weight. So that being said, what do we do after we recognize I've got this burden of command. I've I've got this responsibility to often keep in check the 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 health and safety of a single person, their best interest versus the best interest of the team as a whole. So once we recognize that, what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. Like how do we manage that burden in a way that doesn't take us out of the game? It doesn't become a burden that's become so unsurmountable that we ignore it or decide to not be effective in our management of it or engagement of it. Like from your experience, you've had the burden of command in many different types of relationships and, and systems. What did you do? Like, I mean, I often watched you have to make some tough decisions. We talk about it. We talk about times where we did it right. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of times where it was not done well, but what do you do to manage the emotional weight of the burden of command? Oh, man. Well, you know, just let, let's go back to the context of hiring and firing because that's the, that's the cleanest example I think all of us can think about is we've got somebody in our team that is not performing up to the standard or there's an attitude issue where they're creating some kind of toxic environment drama. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about how do we know when it's time to fire? We ask ourselves the questions. Have I provided this person with clarity about their role, clarity about our expectations and standards? Have I really established clarity? And most of the time, for many of us, the answer is no. Yeah. You know, we get to that, we get to that firing conversation. We got the employee file on our desk. We have to have that, that, that chat with somebody today. And a lot of times when we go to answer that question, our ego likes to tell a story of, well, they've had every opportunity and we, you know, blah, blah, blah. But when we really get down to it, did I really take the time, effort, and energy to give this person clarity about what I expect from them? Or was it all inferred? Was it all implied? Hey, they should know because this is how we run our company. A lot of assumption. Yeah. I think we're all guilty of that. The other thing is, have I equipped them? Do they have the resources to actually perform at the standard, right? Do they have access to the training? Really? Or have I just thrown them in a truck, you know? Yeah. Have I just thrown them in the truck and are they just at kind of the mercy of whatever the veterans on the team tell them and communicate to them? Do we have a game of telephone really going here that's created the clarity or have we been intentional about it? It's like we can ask those questions if, if we've given them clarity, we've provided them the resources to be able to live that out. And then have we had some kind of ongoing communication and dialogue when standards aren't met? Like, has there really been a coaching relationship in place where they have truly had the opportunity and the direction 
to make a course correction or not? And if the answer to those questions is, oh, yes, hey, I've done my part, the times where I've had that awareness and that intentionality, I, I can always go home after that conversation and feel just fine about the decision. Because it's like Marcy said in, in our podcast we just had with her, some employees just choose to quit. They choose to fire themselves because they're unwilling to meet the standard or they're unwilling to be a part of the team. So it's, it, it, I've actually found when, when all those things are in place, it's much easier to it's fire. Easier. Yeah. yeah, my ego still gets flared up. I, I still, sometimes I'll either feel like a failure or I'm caught up in why we had to fire them and I'm still upset and frustrated with their, the employee's performance. But it also helps too over God, 25 years of having employees. I've just found that you can't want it more than they do. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of my heartburn mm. when I'm having to remove somebody from the team is I want them to stay on the team. I want them to figure it out most of the time. You know, sometimes yeah. personalities are just a wrong fit for the team. But yeah. so for me, that's been really helpful. And I don't remember where you and I kind of picked up those principles along the way. But when I deploy that and I can really be honest with myself, that helps. That changes it. That almost feels more to me like a preventative measure, right? Mm. Than a way to deal with, which I like. I think, you know, you and I try to both kind of just continue to develop our prowess around understanding and creating and establishing leading behaviors versus those yeah. lagging indicators. And I think that's an example right there of, of a one way that we can mitigate the impact and or prevent the impact of that burden is to put things in place that give clarity for both parties yeah. around those expectations and our decision making. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because my, my career in leadership has kind of spanned, you know, everything from the military side to this kind of corporate environment. There's something that I always found, you know, after spending eight years in the military, it's a little bit like an old pair of shoes. And so when you have other experiences that are similar to that and they draw on some similar experiences, that it's it feels like home. Yeah. And I've always kind of tried to create that in our work environment. But but you know, I certainly over the years, especially in this industry, this it's probably one of the reasons why I love it so much, is that it's it's dear to me, like the challenge of it, the mm. environments that we're operating in, the conditions, the pace. A lot of it for certain, you know, to a certain extent reminds me of my time in the infantry. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I I always struggled with is when we would have a cat in, you know, kind of scenario or a storm scenario or, you know, not that long ago in Oregon, we suffered extreme forest fire scenarios that burnt up two of our passes, like tons of damage and lots of work. And my point is, is that there's been plenty of times where I knew I was running my team literally into the ground. Mm -hmm. Like there was just a reality that we're going to do some hard things in some shitty environments and I'm not sure how to communicate to you when the end will come. And there's the difficulty in having to lead and command, if you will, in a way that continues to force them to do the hard thing. Because when we're left on our own, it's very easy for us to take the path of least resistance. We use that terminology all the time. And as humans, especially when shit gets difficult, we're going to lean into that path, yeah. right? When you're tired and you've been grinding freaking eight days a week for umpteen days, if an opening comes, you're just going to slip into it, yeah. most likely. Oh yeah. And so as a leader, we just have this burden of, okay, how do I continue to drive the horses, not give them that out because knowing that they just can't help but take it 
and our clients need us right now. This event's not forever. There's so many big gains to this opportunity that change the health of the company, change the direction we can go. It it outfits us with resources that we may not have had access to now. Things, opportunities for me to develop and, and invest into my people. And there's this reality of I'm asking people to stay away from their kids, their families, mm. not be at home. They're not getting as much rest as they should be. And so there's safety concerns I start to worry about. There's just this idea of what is going to be the cost of me driving the team this hard mm. for this period of time. And so that dichotomy there, balancing those two things can be very, very difficult. And I often would just have this very uneasy weight that I was carrying as a leader knowing I was forcing my team to do these things and understanding, dude, they're only people. Like they're only humans. And like I'm going home right now and having really tough conversations with my family because I'm working fucking 70 hours this week. Well, all my people are having that same conversation. And you know how different that conversation looks when you're not the boss? Like what do you like when I go home and tell my wife, we have a fairly traditional household, kinda. When I go home and say, Hey, babe, you know, we're gonna have to grind gears for a while, right? We've had many conversations like this in our company now. Yeah. Hey, we're traveling every other week. Is that the goal? No. Do we have to do it right now? Yes, it's tough. But going home and telling my family that as the GM, COO, you know, founder, whatever the hell your title is. I'm going to have to grind some absurd hours. I'm not going to be very available. Okay. But they get it. Like there's some context there that says you're the head of the shed. Like, yeah. like if things are going to be tough, I understand you need to carry that weight and be an example. When you're an hourly employee and you go home and tell your partner, I, dude, I'm going to get really real here. Yeah. Most of the people on our team are not getting rich because they work for you. Yeah. Like let's fucking think about that for a minute. Yeah. Okay. There's tension in payroll, right? And I don't think we have a role in the industry that outright is about to retire because of their compensation package from your company. All right. If you're a tech on our team, there's no doubt in my mind what you bring home is not setting your partner's hair on fire. Okay. There's tension. You're grinding your balls off to get the level of income that you are. And I don't think anybody in your household goes, you're the luckiest person to work at that job and make that hourly rate, if we're honest. So then that same person goes home, talks to their spouse and says, I'm going to be grinding like 70 hours this week. I, I have no days off for the unforeseen time. And I really don't know how available I'm going to be. Yeah. Picking up the kids, all participating the in anything, yeah. grocery shopping, food prep, house cleaning, house all of that animals, family endeavors. Like what happens? What What is that individual then pressing down on the rest of their family to meet that demand. That's real. That is the real burden mm. of command. If we give a shit. Yeah. And we should. Because when when we as a key leader are making decisions for the good of the team, good for the strategy, and we're deploying humans to provide that to execute on that strategy, the burden of command is the fact that you are making decisions that force them to be in compromised positions. Period. It just is part of the game. And so if we're really conscientious about that, like we're going to have to develop some skill sets around it. So I'm trying to keep this in some kind of like categorical direction, I guess. But so first recognize, guys, we have the burden as leaders of the burden of command. As long as our head's in the right space, you better have the burden of command because the weight of your decisions is big. It's heavy. And it means a whole lot more than just the nuts and bolts of your P&L. 
So then when we recognize that, there's a couple things that we have to do. One is I think you can be more preventative in the way that you set the table for your team and your employees that will hopefully help prevent you from having to be in these kind of situations more than you need to. But inevitably, something's going to happen, an environment, an event, something where we force our teams to be uncomfortable and, and do hard things. And when that begins to happen, what do we do? How do we begin communicating and leading our team that doesn't remove the responsibility of creating the win and hold and forcing the team to do hard things, yet remembering the humanity and doing it in a way that, that we still respect each other when that shit is over? Because nothing's forever, yep. right? You, you want to go make hay while you can? I get it. Big event, cat event, hurricane. Well, I don't fucking care. Whatever the thing is, that's a short-term piece. In yep. the entire history of your company. Yeah, we come back home eventually. We come back home. That thing is over and you are either left with a burning rubble or you're left with a team that's more loyal and more dedicated to you than they ever were because you led the right way when shit was hard. Hey friends, hey listeners. We're doing something a little bit different with our ads. So you've been accustomed to hearing some ads with our favorite partners and companies in the industry. Now we actually have a product page, our partners page on our website. So floodlightgrp.com forward slash partners. We want to give you a quick rundown though of the people that we're partnered with and we believe in as really go-to resources in the industry. The first one is restorationerp.com, right? ERPs are an important part of our sales process, our customer development process. And why reinvent the wheel? The Restoration ERP platform is awesome. It can be customized to your business branding and all that kind of stuff. and has all the components to really create a value add for your commercial client. Accelerate job management software. Everybody needs job management software. And we have just found Accelerate. Not only is their team like just really great to work with. When they get ideas from customers, they throw it into the, the product roadmap and they implement it. They're really advocating for the contractor and trying to create a software solution that works for them. Actionable Insights, we recommend Actionable Insights all the time, right? All of us as restoration operators are looking for turnkey resources and training solutions that we can take our team to the next level. And AI, when it comes to estimating and Matterport and a lot of the other essential tools we're using, they're an awesome resource. And they're always coming out with new great stuff. Yeah, super influential in the industry. Uh, super Tech University, soft skills development training for your technicians, for your frontline personnel. Let's face it, frontline personnel are the heartbeat of our company. They are the ones that connect with our clients and create the customer experience. There's no better investment than investing in the ability for those individuals to represent themselves, our clients, and our brands well. So Super Tech University. Uh, Surety, they essentially are cutting down this life cycle between delivering service and then getting paid. Stepping in, removing the middleman in terms of mortgage companies, refining that pipeline, making sure that it, there's as least friction as possible. So we can go out, do a great job, and then our businesses don't suffer while we're waiting to get paid. The money's coming and it's coming quickly. And then the last one, guys, is Liftify. It's kind of a newer entry to the industry. They're driving Google reviews. So they're a turnkey partner that we can literally go out, provide a great customer experience, hand that name off to our trusted partner in Liftify, and have them go chase that Google review. 25% conversion rate, which is industry-wide. People tend to average 5% of the people you ask for review actually convert. Liftify bumps that to 25 
we were such a big believer. We were a customer and they've been generating all of our floodlight reviews. And in a matter of a week and a half, we're up to, I don't know, close to 15 reviews yeah. in just a, a short period of time. So, And I think people just underestimate what happens organically with your SEO search activity when you're getting these new and active five-star reviews from our clients. And we, we just can't let the pedal up on that because of the effect on our business yeah. is long term. It's a big deal. So check it out. Check out our partner's page. Do business with them. You won't regret it. We're confident in that. Floodlightgrp.com forward slash partners. Thanks, guys. So I think the opportunity here maybe is to unpack some of those behaviors that we've seen in others. At times, maybe you and I have used the, you know, used the right methodology. But what are some of those standards that we watch people deploy so that they manage the burden of command well, right? Yeah. Well, one of the first things that comes to mind is something I keep coming back to Marcy Richardson because we just had a really cool show with her and met her last couple of weeks ago. And she was saying that one of, because they do a lot of cat work, you know, sure. down in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. And it's something that Sean Folks and, and her have provided their team is when they have a cat team that goes out on site, they're gone for sometimes months. They do two things, but they have a rotation mm. that the employees can count on. Yep. And, and I don't remember if she said what it was like three weeks on one week off, but they have a, it's fixed. It is a fixed rotation, yep. you know, similar to what somebody might experience in the military, Correct. right? Yep. They rotate out, get home, get reacclimated and then come back to work so that's one thing they do. And then when somebody's out on CAD, that one of the things she mentioned was that they have a landscaping service. Yeah. And that landscaping service trims that person's lawn yep. while they're on deployment, so to speak, yep. on a, in a CAT zone. Yeah. And I thought, man, that is, that's cool. And, and, and you say, well, that's, that's really novel. You know, you're spending that 40 bucks a week or something to have somebody's lawn mowed. But, but it's more about that headspace. It's more about occupying that headspace as a leader and saying, hey, it's acknowledging there's a real cost here. Now, me as a general manager making the general manager money or as an owner making profits, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's easy for me to not even think about because I already pay somebody maybe to you know, yeah. take care of my lawn because I can afford to, right? Yeah. But it's really considering our team and their situation and their world. And it's like, okay, when dad's gone or mom's gone on this thing, what are all the things that are impacted in yeah. their home? Yeah. Because like they're fam- we're not paying their family. Their right. family isn't on our payroll. Right. It's that one person. Yeah. No one else is getting paid for this additional hardship. Yeah. Right? It's like, so how do we I remove some of that? that's an interesting context right? to remember. Yeah. Because I mean, when you think about it, if you're the owner of the company, yeah, your spouse or your kids may not be working in the business, but they're getting paid. Right. Oh, that's yeah. part. You get you get everything that's left over and some and that's big or small or whatever it is. But yeah. at the end of the day, your family supporting you and owning your company or whatever, being a senior executive, they're winning along with you. But for our frontline people, yeah, they, they don't necessarily enjoy that same upside. Yeah. The, the family doesn't get to enjoy a lot of the perks of owning a company that come along eventually. And so what, what is real life like for them when they're gone for three, four weeks at a time or more? Because yeah. there's a lot of companies that aren't as intentional about that whole cat deployment. Right. And people just leave and they're yeah. gone. Maybe they get a, a two-day long weekend to fly back home and blah, blah, blah. And then they're back in the trench. Yeah. And I think what I really like about those examples, again, you can find other ways to mimic the, the 
outcome of these examples, right? That's really what's, what's important here is it's not necessarily that it was the lawn getting mowed. It's, it, what is that? It's A, it's showing that you recognize that there are difficulties beyond mm-hmm. just working hard because you're a person and yeah. a whole person has a lot more to them than just their hours they're logging. I think you also uh, show the family right? Because this is where engagement, support, and longevity come from, right? You're not going to keep employees if they're at odds with their spouse about their employment, period. You're just not going to fucking win that fight over an extended period of time. So one of the things that you're saying, right, in this particular situation is, hey, we value you, family, and we understand you're making sacrifices because we're asking your partner, your spouse to do this, to help us, right? I think the other thing then you do is you take a tangible measurable, concrete step towards showing, I will help you in this. Mm. I'm meeting you here. There's Because we still have to make hard decisions. We still have to have these high level of expectations. We still have to have somebody do something that's inconvenient and difficult. But we're marrying that with a concrete step of saying, we recognize it and here's what we're trying to do to help. Yeah, And I think that's massive. And I think there's all sorts of ways for us to build that into our business when we're asking people to do hard things, right? Yeah, the other piece too, and I, Jock has talked about this a whole bunch of times when he was deployed. You know, we, we talk about structure of leadership, right? As everybody has 10 people, you can maximum, we can really only affect and influence and be responsible for 10 people, right? So one of the things he talks about is with his 10, when they're on deployment, he's making it a point, he takes it upon himself to, to maintain a connection with the spouses, mm. to, you know, like to, to talk with them and how are you doing? And of course, within the military, there's other resources for spouses right. and, and families that have soldiers on deployment. And, and he saw that as part of his responsibility to make sure yeah. that they were getting and accessing the yeah. resources they needed and just to see, how are you doing? That's right. Right. And to reassure them, hey, I'm doing everything I can to take care of your that's right, your your loved one and you know, just whatever. Let me know if you need anything. And yep. him taking responsibility for those family relationships. And I it sounds like too, like Marcy was kind of indicating a similar level of care. Like why can't we, if you're a company that does storm travel or a lot of cat large loss work, is there a reason why you can't have a champion on the team that's reaching out to families and checking in on folks? Hundred percent. Nine times out of 10, they're probably going to be okay. Yep. But that one week where you have this mom with three young kids, dad's been gone for nine days straight or comes home and sleeps and showers and, and heads back into their rig, maybe they just need somebody to grab them a bag of groceries because they're absolutely at their wits end trying yep. to get the kids everywhere and they don't have any spousal support for right. the last week and a half. Right. And a $200 batch of groceries Changes everything. Changes everything. And the emotional value of that to that mom, you know? And I think the value for something like this, guys, is is this idea. It's not just cat environments. It's not just being deployed. It's uh-huh. it's also how many of us are businesses growing in such a way that today the amount of volume and work that we're managing looks significantly different than it did, call it 120 days ago. Yeah. Well, there's that burden, right? It takes us time to recruit. It takes us time to ramp up and train. Like sometimes, especially if you're just fortunate and you're really experiencing a boom in your business, we're going to be on the outer limits of our current capacity from a labor force perspective. And that means we can't, we can't push the stop button because then we'll lose our momentum. 
it means we're going to kind of be asking our people to perform just like they would in a cat environment. Mm. So that's when these decisions and these opportunities can come into play as well, right here at home base. And I, I really love that idea. We, we it's, it's almost like a courtesy check, like just making sure that that, that family is doing all right. And I know some of you going, but yeah, we have a massive team. It's so hard to keep contact with each one of our team members. It's like, that's a bullshit excuse. Because yeah, the reality of it is, don't you have departments? Don't you have locations? Don't you have branches? Don't you have individual teams? Of course you do. Break that shit down and assign somebody to that group that can be responsible for that. Like, don't, yeah. don't use my team as big as an excuse to not take care of your people. Another thing that I think about is how do we communicate through it? So I think these are some great tangible ideas. I think it's enough to get somebody started just to think outside of the box. What are tangible ways that I can show my team I recognize the hardship we're asking them to bear, yet we can't compromise? Like This is something that we have to do as a team right now. So showing tangible ways of how you can win with them and honor them and respect them and help them take care of these things that distract them from the mission. But they're realities. They're realities we all have some way to problem solve. I think the other thing is just this ongoing communication. Here's something that I saw in leaders before me, and it's something that I adopted. And that was I got very good. Maybe good's not the right word. I got very um, intentional about recognizing out loud the shitty part of what I'm asking people to do. And I think what I see a lot of leaders do is they, they downplay it, they trivialize it, they, they do the whole persona of, well, I work 90 hours a week. I've got my grip on all the details on all things at all times. Well, yeah, I hear you, but you're kind of being a pussy. I don't know if I might have to bleep that one out. <laughs> right? Like it's this, it's this very threatening, dismissive, dismissive, downplaying, discrediting way to communicate or it's the straight up ignoring the elephant in the room. Yeah. They just don't want to verbalize the fact that this shit is hard right now. Yeah. Those are the two absolute worst versions of leadership that I've seen executed when the need and the demand is high because they're not sustainable. Yeah. Okay, what you end up doing one is everybody thinks that you're disconnected if you ignore it. Yeah. Because everyone else in the work environment understands shit ain't the same right now. Mm -hmm. Or if you're that person that's just, in quotes, so much bigger, better, and faster than everyone else on your team, and every time they come to you with a real-life challenge that's affecting their performance or their inability to meet the expectation, if we shove that down and threat and, and tell them basically that they're, they're failing because they're just not making it enough of a priority, you're going to lose amazing people from yeah. your team. Yeah, they're only going to accept that for so long. And in today's hiring market, there's plenty of companies that got their shit together. Yeah, there's plenty. Yep. And they will scoop that person up in a heartbeat. And the first time that they're shown value, and that they see proof that they understand that sometimes things are difficult, and yet we still need to continue to march forward. They're going to thrive in that environment and yeah. that team will continue to kick your fucking ass because yeah. they got all the A players that you grinded right off your roster. Kind of got into a thing there. But I think that's important. So yeah. part of what I learned to do over time was just call the elephant out in the room. I did this a lot in the military, man. And I will tell you, it really changed the shape of the kind of relationship that I have with my team. So even as a team leader, we would get command 
we would get assigned missions, strategies, training events, right? All these things. And I took it upon myself to consistently say, hey guys, I recognize this is a shitty deal. This is a tough scenario. This is a burden on an already busy schedule. This is whatever. It's going to be tough. However, I think it's going to take us about three weeks. We're going to do what we can to share the load. And I believe we can make it. We can get through this. It's not going to be easy. It fucking sucks. But we're going to ha- make it happen. Right? Hoorah. Good. All right. And everybody's in. That looked so different in the way that they received it and responded to it than the guy that was just totally stuck on command and control. Fucking do it. Suck it up. Hoorah. There is a difference in the loyalty. There's a difference in the engagement. There's a difference in the sustainability of it. Like when we just put our head down and lie to ourselves and ignore the elephant in the room, we can only do that for so long because technically our soul knows there's no end in sight. Nobody's communicated to me one more step. Nobody communicated to me, we just got to do it for this long. Nobody communicated to me there was an end in sight so that I could adjust and keep my mind frame correct. And the other and the other issue is when we make it an elephant in the room and we don't talk about just how hard it is and the reality of the situation is we people stop trusting us. hundred percent. Like they they stop trusting us, they stop respecting us because they just know in their guts that they're getting shined on. Yeah. And it also creates a lot of division and drama within the team. Completely. Because people feel like, well, I can't, I can't even talk about the challenges I'm facing because I'm going to get met with just get your shit together and suck it up. Like there, there isn't an environment where people will be honest with each other. You know, we, we, you and I've talked about this in a lot of different contexts of the business. It's same in customer experience. Mm-hmm. This is a real it, 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 customer service. Service delivery in our industry, very challenging, especially mm-hmm. for those companies that do recon, mm-hmm. right? And we've talked about this before, like when we're conscientious about letting the customer know what parts are going to be difficult. Yeah. And we talk a lot about the silent phase, sure. you know, when we're working out scope and stuff with, with the carrier and whatnot. It's really frustrating for the customer not to know what's going on. But if we tell them up front, hey, listen, there's going to be this weird pause break where it's going to feel like nothing's happening on your job. It's going to, I promise you, we just experience, it's going to be really frustrating. Yeah. You feel like, yeah, when, when the hell are they going to get in here and start doing some shit? Right. right. When we articulate the frustrating points we know are going to happen to the customer, when it happens, like, oh, this is what you're talking about, right? There is so much less emotional reaction. Yeah. from the customer. And that is true for all of us. Yeah. I, just, I just went through my own water damage loss. I've talked about it a shit ton on the podcast. And and part of my frustration and, and angst is it was just that. Yeah. Like there was very poor expectation setting. Yeah. But when we're just really clear about what's true, yep. like we're just talking about telling the truth to our people and ourselves. That's right. There's a big part of it. Like we can all, most of us can adapt to what's true. I think so. We'll get through it. Yeah. You know, here's a here's another tool I think to layer on here, and and I I really think this is probably the superpower, and I'm still figuring this out. Uh, it's probably a journey I'm going to take for the rest of my life, if I'm honest with myself. Mm. And that is just getting better at leading through questions. Mm. You know, one of the things that you know we've talked about this before, but wisdom, man, th- those people who I just admire, I don't, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to put your finger on it. Like, what is it exactly that makes you just respect and admire that person? And one of the things that I've seen in those people that I almost just put on a whole new level is 
great at asking questions. And like their knee-jerk response is to ask a question. Their their immediate response is to ask a question. And I think about that in terms of this relationship with the burden of command is part of ultimately what we have to do. Again, like the principle is we're asking people to do hard things. We're asking them to perform at a level that's not congruent with the masses, right? Where it's hard if, if circumstances, all the things. Well, then we, when they can't, or when they look as if they are potentially failing to meet the standard, we have to ask questions. Like when someone comes to me and I've identified they haven't executed on something that I've asked them to execute on, and they give that knee-jerk response about time as an example, because this is what we hear all the time. I didn't have time. I didn't have time to work on that this week. And we lose our mind and we start making assumptions. But what if we asked questions first? What if in conjunction with gathering our data so that we're prepared for the conversation, what if we also just came in prepped to learn something? Mm. Learn something about the circumstances, learn something about our person's character, learn something about their life and the complexity that makes them a whole person. What if we showed up ready to ask questions so that we can dig into the details? Because here's what I see happens more times than not. That person's excuse and quotes that they gave you for them was real. It had real implications to their performance. Whether it was partly in their head or not is irrelevant. Their perception was that thing prevented X from being able to get completed. Isn't the real thing that we're trying to do there then is teach them ways to overcome a similar experience in the future? Grinding them down, belittling their experiences, or proving to them in your story how much harder it's been for you and you overcame it is not the fucking answer. Mm. Ask them questions and find out what is going on in their head or their personal circumstances that created that failure. Because mm. that's what we're going to teach on. Yeah. That's where we're going to make the connection with our person and equip them potentially or coach and consult them through adapting so that they're better and better equipped for the next opportunity. You're not going to get that if you immediately knee-jerk off of assumption or again, you come in guns a-blazing because you're so much bigger, better, and faster than they are. It's amazing when you learn what is hindering your people's performance because what you often find out is it's not that they're a C-plus player. They're an A-plus player. They just don't got the equipment yet. Like they're still in their developmental journey, just like all of us are, yeah. right? And when we can ask those questions in hard times, it gives us the ability to coach and mentor them through skill sets that they can adapt and use next time, right? I'm thinking, I'm thinking of some of those questions, right? Like what if when somebody fails to meet expectation, we started from a genuinely curious position of what got in the way? Yep. What got in the way? Yeah. And, and, and really listening for... Jim Dethmer talks about this and I just love it because it feels like the only way to get good at this. He said, when, when somebody gives you feedback, an employee gives you feedback, a partner gives you feedback, instead of starting from the, uh, starting from the place of, is this feedback true or relevant? Mm. Like starting with that filter, it's, it's instead disciplining ourselves to ask, how is what they're saying true? Mm -hmm. How is this true? What they're telling me? Mm -hmm. And hunting for the truth and the nuggets in it rather than hunting for a reason to discredit or, or blow off their feedback. Yeah. And so it's like somebody fails to meet performance standard. 
or fails to complete a project or some other timely thing, we say, well, what got in the way? Mm-hmm. And, and really being curious and listening for those things that maybe you can influence and have an effect on so that that thing isn't in the way yeah. next time. Yeah. Or, or like I think of another question that comes to my mind is, what would need to change yeah. this next week in order for you to be able to Huge. complete that? 100%. And, and really be curious. Like, 100%. what are they going to say? Because they may have the answer to six other people on your team that missed the expectation as well. And then we can fix that and they're equipped with what they need in order to accomplish that, right? But so it's so easy, right? Especially when we did it. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, what the hell's your problem? Yeah. I did that thing. Yeah. Now, now for context though, how often are we talking about an achievement we had 10 years ago Yeah. when the company was 12 people and we had three jobs a day coming in yeah. versus now we have 25 jobs a day. Come, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like the sure. context is different, but we just stripped that out. We're like, I did it. Why can't you do it? Or even like, the well, responsibility to the carriers and our relationship. Oh my gosh, everything's changed. Yeah. When I was a write and run, you know, estimator project manager, like I, I was a grinder, man. I put my time in. I could manage a lot of revenue. But if I'm honest with myself... The level of competency, the level of communication, the level of need that the carrier relationship and the client relationship, they're adapting. They're getting, they're increasing. You mix in TPAs, all the things. So now the burden of these roles, if I'm honest, is more complicated in many ways than it yeah. was when I held the same role 10 years ago or whatever sure. the case may be. But I think more importantly, the reason I think this concept is so important for us to wrestle with is that at the end of the day, how good are you at learning and adapting by somebody telling you do better versus actually giving you a concrete solution to learn? Yeah. Like ask ourselves that question. Mm. If, if a person is put into two circumstances and we're banking on which one will produce the outcome we're looking for, how many of you would bet on the do better versus actually providing tools, resources, and opportunities to get better? and get the outcome you want. Which one? Which one would you put your money on? Yeah. Well, I'm putting my money on the one that comes with some concrete solutions, not the fucking do better. Yeah. So ultimately, what we choose to do in terms of managing the burden of command, when we are directing people to do hard things, if our response is do better, instead of asking questions and then providing some solutions, some input, some coaching on what kind of tools or opportunities we have to deploy, do the math. Yeah. Right? Like, like do the math. Okay, dude. A little preachy on this one. Dude, but I think it's relevant. It's really relevant. It's relevant. And guys, like with anything we talk about, do not hear us accusing. No, this is... This is, this is and in a lot of ways, it's funny. This, this is a form of self-reflection for you and <laughs> totally I, man. It's yes. like I'm, I'm recounting as we cycle through most of these episodes... We're, we're reflecting on our own behaviors, some of which were even recent. You oh, know, it's like... A lot of this is totally current. Guys, we have a team. Yeah. We have a team that's all over the place. One of yeah. our personnel is not even in the US. And I have expectations. Yeah. We are a growing company. We have to move quickly on our feet. We have to be nimble right now. We all have to do more things than we've got time to do. That's just the name of the game. Yeah. And I have to be good at balancing that burden of command and asking my team questions so that I can give them tools to to increase their efficiency. I mean, dude, we have creatives right on our team. Guys, if you've led creatives, it's one of the most challenging things I've ever had the honor and opportunity to do. It is growing me. It's stretching me. Because 
creatives don't operate the same way that us utilitarian, you know, operational drivers do. It's a different playbook. It's a different set of circumstances. I can't tell if you're talking about me or our technical, our actual creative team. <laughs> yes. The answer is yes, Chris. So there's realities, right? Where if I just throw down the gauntlet and I'm like, do better, I'm yeah. not going to get... Okay. We beat that one up. Okay, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us on this one. Let's do five. Let's really quick recap. So there's a reality when we take on the mantle of a formal leadership position, start a business, become a GM, you name it. You will begin to balance this weight or the what they call the burden of command. Mm -hmm. And in that, you're going to have the responsibility to drive and coach and lead your team to do hard things in hard environments and often not supported to the extent that we would like to be supported. That's just the reality of the hard parts about business. So when we do that, there's a couple of things that we have to do. One is we have to have a grasp on the fact that we are asking humans to do hard things. And it's not just them that's impacted by that decision. It's our company as a whole. And just as importantly, it's their sphere of influence. It's their families, their friends, their commitments outside of your brand that are affected by it. And so we have to deploy tools that will equip us to lead folks through that successfully. One of those things being... Don't be afraid to communicate the reality of how hard shit is going to be. Don't be afraid to proactively prepare and manage the team to deal with those hard circumstances. Create rotations. Create ways for us to create an end in sight so Mm -hmm. that we can coach and tell our team that we're almost there. We're almost there, Mm -hmm. right? And then this last piece is don't lord over your team to push the performance. Don't Put them down. Don't try to compare their experience to your experience. Don't bring the, I'm bigger, better, faster, so do better. Bring the, I'm going to come ask questions. I'm going to find out what it is specifically that's preventing my team member from being successful in this environment. And then I'm going to offer some real concrete solutions and coaching on how to help them adapt so that they can be better next time. Mm. Thanks for hanging out with us. Dude, that's good, man. Listen, if you if you like what we're putting out, if this stuff like it connects with you, it's valuable. I mean, we we get text messages from folks. We love that. It's fun. But the best way you can thank us is by sharing. Sharing the Head, Heart, and Boots podcast. Tell your friends about it. Check out our website. Obviously, if we can support you with some one-on-one consulting or project-based, you know, consulting coaching work or you want us to come out and do an on-site leadership training or commercial sales master course for your teams, that's certainly a way that we'd love to work with you. But we appreciate your listenership and would covet any sharing of the Head Hard Mood podcast that you're motivated to do. Oh, by the way, so we've got... uh, We have new shirts, hot off the press, ready to go. I new stickers on the way. The oh, and new swag. Are awesome. Yeah, we yeah, have yeah. some new stickers. Where are we? What are we looking at here? So today is the first, second. Today yeah. is the second of March. So throughout the month of March, what I'm intending to do is, if you guys leave us a review, of obviously a five star. By the way, just hint, hint. If you leave us a five star review on any of the platforms, 
or on Google, we will put your name in a drawing and we'll oh. be issuing out a few shirts this month at the end of the month. So we'll actually I thought you were gonna say, do it April 1st. You're going to get a shirt. You get a shirt. You get a shirt. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm seeing that. No, no. Right. So, so leave What's us. that going to do to our P&L this month? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We'll have to identify like how many we're going to give out once we get some folks starting to, to throw the reviews in there. But that's what we're going to do. And no. we'll probably run that off and on throughout the rest of the year. And these are our... I love it. Uh, love this industry shirt. So if you guys haven't seen that, they're th- fun. They're super rad. They're so. fun. Credit to Jana for the awesome design. That, that's right. And the stickers are nothing to... They're super fun. They're, so They're super swaggy. Yeah. 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 Okay, gang. Thanks. We'll see you next time. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Head, Heart, and Boots. And if you're enjoying the show, but you love this episode, please hit follow, formerly known as subscribe, write us a review, or share this episode with a friend. Share it on LinkedIn, share it via text, whatever. It all helps. Thanks for listening.